welcome to edition 39 of our podcast, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Our topic today, the cycling revolution. And we have a special guest, the champion of cycling in every sense, Anna Hughes. Hello, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I expect you've noticed that uh, one of the more positive uh, consequences of the pandemic has been that uh, the roads have been rather easier to cycle on. And this has brought with it a uh, uh, an uptake. For some weird reason, people call it an uptick on the BBC. I don't know why, but um, in uh, cycling. And anecdotally, I can say that uh, friends of mine haven't been able to get a secondhand bike in London for love nor money. And it looks as though cycling is going through a revival. But I suppose our question today is, will this rebirth actually continue when things get back to some kind of normality. Is that a fair assessment, Anna? I think it's a hopeful assessment. I mean, we have seen, as you've said, a massive up, uptake, uptake of cycling uh, through the pa- uh, pandemic, mainly because uh, roads are quieter. We, we have been recommended our hour outside and uh, cycling is obviously a great way to get out and enjoy the fresh air and get some exercise. I'm not sure if it will last. Um, and I don't want to be cynical about it, but I've worked in behaviour change for, for over a decade now in terms of um, encouraging people to use their cars less. And we have frequently had this conversation, you know, this is the moment, uh, now the cycling revival is happening. Uh, what do we need in order to make this a permanent thing? And it it does take more than a couple of months of lockdown <laughs> to make cycling a permanent feature on our roads. Oh, well, let's discuss um what sort of thing might uh, actually help to uh, to cement the uh, the brief uh, change in behaviour? I mean, I would like to ask um, you both, what's so good about cycling? Well, I've been cycling since, well, I first fell off my bike um, aged, um, I was nearly five uh, and I was just trying out two wheels after having had the stabiliser thing um, and I've been falling off ever since and I have the um, bruises and the broken limbs to prove it. But through all that, I have found cycling simply to be a very pragmatic thing. Um, I cycle always in London. Um, I like to cycle in some other places, although maybe we'll get into the places which are good to cycle and not to cycle in. But it's really just a, a good way of getting around urban areas I am most definitely not in the same league I fear as Anna because you've recently been on a a massive cycling um, tour through Scotland I tend not to um, uh, ride bikes long distances with lots of baggage and particularly if it's raining (laughs) I have indeed Simon yeah I just got back from Scotland five days cycling around the Cairngorms and a lot of my joy from riding is to explore and to find those places that uh, you can really experience a, a place from the seat of a bicycle. But I'm also very much like you in terms of seeing the bicycle as a utility vehicle. So I don't own a car. So my bike is simply how I get around. I ride it every day to go into town, shops, uh, work when we're allowed to, all, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely the way to get around for me. Um, from the point of view of my health, from the point of view of the environment in terms of uh, no pollution and from the point of view of my pocket as well. It's the cheapest way to travel, isn't it? So, yeah, all of those things. Mick, I sort of sense that during lockdown, your attitude to cycling has somewhat changed. Certainly, I know that you used simply to commute and get around London on a bike, but um, you've been telling more and more about your adventures. Yeah, I always used my uh, 
bike for commuting to work, uh, which sometimes is quite a long journey, and uh, and for occasional shopping trips. Um, but actually, that was as far as it went. I think because I used it every day for commuting, uh, I really did not fancy uh, uh, getting it out at the weekend and uh, having a leisure ride. I sort of it was a utilitarian thing entirely. However, even then, I do remember that one of the great thrills of life um, was cycling at night um, in the summer, coming back from um, some kind of um, do i.e. Uh, meeting people in the pub in North London and then cycling back to South London at, uh, let's say, one o'clock in the morning when there's not that much traffic uh, and a warm summer's evening. Uh, the sort of sense of uh, freedom was um, delightful. Uh, but during the lockdown, I realised I needed to find some way of keeping fit uh, and uh, I started to uh, cycle around South London and I discovered that there were a huge number of hills pretty well in every direction and that instead of um, cursing them and uh, trying to find some way around them, I decided to um, embrace them. Here we are on a bike ride I've done before, about one hour and 20 minutes, about 20 kilometres, but it involves three hills and I've discovered that uh, I'm not the only person who cycles up these um, really well for me um, really very steep uh, roads in South London other people do it and uh, they um, put their times on a website and I've got a feeling uh, I'm not going to measure up too well against them but uh, let's see Just starting up a very modest incline which takes me away from home and uh, towards the very very leafy London suburb of Dulwich. Right here I am uh, outside London's last remaining toll booth in um, College Road um, part of which is a private road. Uh, I've done uh, six kilometres uh, and I'm still freezing cold. It's uh, not a warm day at all and uh, looks as though it's about to rain any moment. This hill, College Hill, which I'm about to try and cycle up, uh, does apparently have uh, an average house price of a million and a half pounds at the moment. Um, but what I'm more interested in is uh, how quickly, or probably more likely, how slowly uh, I'm going to manage to get up here. Um, it's 1.3 kilometres uh, from here to the top, and uh, people tend to do it in a time of... Let's see if I can find out the quickest is... Um, 2 minutes 16 seconds. Hmm. Yes, well, we'll see about that. Okay, right. First stretch is not particularly difficult, so I'm not really having any problem talking. It's a bin lorry driving out in front of me, but not particularly dangerous for me, that is. This is the last stretch, I think. 
Oh, I hope so. Yeah, you can see the top of the main road. Well, hmm, that took five minutes. So, going down. I know, it took me five minutes to get up. <laughs> As the friendly woman with the dog predicted, it was much more fun going down. But then I was faced with Climb 2, Gypsy Hill, shorter than College Road, but steeper. This time my time was six minutes, nearly three times that of the uh, current king and queen of the mountains on the Strava website. My last effort was Cypress Road, which should certainly be renamed Cypress Hill. It's a short, brutal climb, about a third of a kilometre in length, and from the bottom it looks just like a ski run. It has the advantage of not featuring on the website, so no embarrassment involved. Only pain. Must be two-thirds of the way up, but the top bit is the worst. I just uh, I can get a sense of what it must be like have one of those Tour de France stages where the finish is on some absolutely vicious uphill stretch. That's my last gear and I've still got, God, I don't know, 50 metres to go. I don't know. This is walking pace. Um, Another ten meters. Oh, that was horrible. That was, uh, I think, two minutes. Well, Mick, congratulations on taking on the uh, Cyprus Challenge, as we must now call it. And just going back a little bit, I, th I think either Anna or I has to point out that we do not <laughs> recommend in any circumstances cycling back from any pub um, at 1am, uh, um, wherever you happen to be. Yes, um, with my safe safety hat on, I have to agree. <laughs> Well, Anna's um, uh, CV is quite remarkable. She's, she's not only, at the moment, the director of the campaigning group Flight Free UK, also a bicycle mechanic. We heard about her work for behaviour change for the cycling charity Sustrans, um, and also a teacher of cycling. So what can you teach us? Um, uh, uh, any, any new tricks that us old dogs could pick up about, um, well, I guess, avoiding the dangers of cycling? Well, I think we've we've kind of hinted at the fact that one of the things that has attracted people back to cycling is the, is the low levels of traffic. Um, so ultimately, what is going to encourage people to ride is to feel safe um, and being amongst traffic makes us feel unsafe. Um, so uh, one of the key things is give yourself enough space. Often, if we're cycling down residential streets, you will be passing lots of parked cars. And one of the highest cause of accidents for cyclists in London and in cities is getting what we call doored. So <sighs> getting uh, getting hit by an opening car door, uh, very painful and very dangerous, actually, because, of course, it will hit you out into the path of perhaps an oncoming vehicle. 
Um, so there is one way to absolutely guarantee that you don't get hit by a car door and that is to ride out of the door zone so give yourself that space and and it, you, you can feel quite intimidated perhaps if you are cycling towards more of the middle of the lane but actually that is the safest place for you to be um, and another key thing is communication so looking around making eye contact with drivers uh, that can often dispel any kind of maybe anger that uh, the, that road users might have towards each other because then you become a person if you make eye contact with someone you are communicating with them so interesting to hear that anna and also to learn a new verb to door um on the on the point of uh, eye contact uh, yes i've never heard it put quite quite like that i've i've been over the past week ahead of the uh, podcast figuring out what i actually do unconsciously and i'm always trying to lock eyes with people to check that they've actually seen me and um yeah. if you if you, you it's extraordinary how you can see somebody's eyes 10 meters away and think right they have exactly no idea that i'm here they're thinking about something else i'm gonna take evasive action but i wonder Anna, um how you uh, as a cycling or former cycling instructor would deal with um uh, what my uh, partner Steph told me when I asked her why uh, she uh, didn't actually um, get her very, very rusty old bike out of the cellar and um, get back on the London roads. Uh, and I said, what's stopping you? And this is what she said. Terror. Well, it's a very common narrative, Mick, that many people are scared of cycling on the roads. And there's a perceived danger and I mean, and, and also a real danger but one of the role, one of the things that can very much help is simply getting out there with someone who knows what they're doing. So uh, I'm not sure what the situation is now with our current lockdown, but in the past and perhaps in the future, uh, the TFL has provided cycle training for That's free for, London, for people who. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so and through the London councils and they provide a couple of hours of tuition for free for adults who would like to get back on the road. And, and it is simply going out with an instructor who knows what they're doing. They've they have bags of experience, years of experience of cycling on the roads in London, um, obviously trained teachers so or trained instructors. So we'll know how to kind of communicate these things. And it will be tips like cycling out of the door zone, making eye contact, just route finding, finding the best route. So if you are used to taking the bus to work for example you might assume that you would have to cycle that route as well but there might be another parallel much quieter route that you can take instead so uh, it's a combination of all these things and once you've done it once or a couple of times you might think well lots of people in my experience have said wow that was brilliant much easier than I thought and I'll be doing that more. Um, that's very very useful and encouraging but um, Mick um, I, th I think the most serious accident that you have experienced in our long friendship in which we've all had a few scrapes um was was actually involving a hazard that none of us could have predicted yeah it was 10 years ago uh, and i was cycling back from work in the early evening and as it was january it was pitch black uh, and uh, i was just meandering along and thinking about what delights the evening might bring when suddenly uh, something happened to my bike's front wheel and uh, I just fell off. Um, I was going relatively slowly but my leg got caught in the frame uh, and I crashed down onto the ground and uh, I sat up and I tried to get up and I couldn't. Um, it was commuter traffic time there was loads of cars and um, most of them didn't really seem to give a uh, a, a monkeys uh, about me lying on the road uh, and uh, just kind of came 
whizzing past uh, some of them. And I do remember this. Uh, it was a BMW. I'm really not going to t- tar all BMW drivers with the same brush, but flashed its light and hooted as though I had um, inconvenienced <laughs> itself by deciding to lie down on the road in front of it. And uh, anyway, uh, a cyclist, a fellow cyclist came up and kind of saved my life. He put his bike down, stopped the traffic uh, and uh, called an ambulance because I realised that I had done something relatively serious. And I said to him, thanks, mate. Uh, Did you see what that was? Did someone take a shot at my front tyre with an air rifle or something? He said, no, it was a fox. (laughs) And and apparently a fox had whizzed across the road from... um, the PC World store where I presume it had been doing a bit of late night shopping and um, (laughs) I just ran straight across the road, clipped the front of my bike and then carried on its merry way while I uh, uh, made my way to hospital um, with a broken thigh. Um, But I don't really know quite how you can guard against that sort of thing. Oh Mick, that sounds horrifying and I'm so sorry you had that experience. Um, Yes, so certain things I think are unavoidable. Um, one of the things that we do teach, and I'm not sure if this would have helped in that circumstance, is to cover your brakes, which simply means resting your fingers on the brake lever so you are ready to pull at any moment. And that can help if perhaps you did see the fox before it ran in front of you. But uh, yeah, sometimes things just happen too fast, don't they? Um, I just wonder, though, if that's an example of how the UK is culturally anti-cyclist. Uh, the fact that that, that immediately you, you would imagine in some other countries, everybody would stop. There would be a kind of rescue of some sort organised immediately um, rather than Mick having to rely on the, uh, the next cyclist to go past. And there is obviously camaraderie between uh, cyclists. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just wonder, Anna, what's your sense of um, how how the UK stacks up against uh, other countries. Yeah, you're you're very right there. There's so there's a huge amount of animosity on the roads between different uh, different road users. Um cyclists versus drivers. I mean it's not helped by uh, I don't know if you remember a little while ago there was a uh, there was a TV program called The Scourge of the Roads or something about cyclists and you know it's not helped by that kind of thing and um it's there's there's something there you know our culture does have that kind of tussle between between the road users uh which is very unpleasant whereas as you say in other countries there is much more of a spirit of uh community and i suspect in places like the netherlands where everybody grows up riding a bike um the the culture on the roads there is much more gentle and much less Uh, angry towards other road users and I suspect it's because when you are riding your bicycle in the Netherlands you can almost guarantee that every other person on the road is also a cyclist even if they're not riding their bike at the moment so even the drivers are also cyclists whereas here most of the drivers are not cyclists and therefore just don't understand what 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 it's all about. I wonder if I might take it take you both on a tour um a bit of a tour because I as I mentioned enjoy cycling in cities or sorry I find it practical in cities um but I've been ahead of this sort of working out my my top and my my bottom cities in terms of how good they are for cyclists um and actually starting in the UK I'd be interested in your your views but um, the number of good cities for cyclists, I would count as probably um, Cambridge, Oxford and Bristol. 
Um, they they are above average. They've got large cycling populations. And Bristol, of course, being a bit of a the green capital of the UK, has um, plenty of, of cycling measures in place. But you look everywhere else. I mean, Belfast, Birmingham, Glasgow, Leeds, Manchester, I cycled with them all. And I find them all really quite challenging. Um, but but looking abroad, yes, the Netherlands is absolutely top of the list. Germany also very good. Denmark, the rest of Scandinavia, excellent. And but I'd what's so to... good about what what what's the difference then, Simon? I mean, I I don't cycle uh, usually when I go abroad. Oh, well, everything about it um, uh, is designed for the cyclist first. Uh, I mean, the, the Netherlands has kind of a road network, but on top of that and taking priority, it has a cycling network. And so there's all kinds of, of, of protocols put in place. But basically, wherever you are, um, with the exception, I must say, of Amsterdam, a special point in that, that's on my bad list, actually, um, everywhere you go, you can assume at every juncture where you're in, in contact with cars that the bike will take priority. And of course, they've got special cycling uh, uh, traffic lights and so on. Um, same applies in Germany, in Denmark. Um, and I, I just love cycling in places like Berlin, in Copenhagen, in Hamburg, Rotterdam and and some of the smaller cities like Bonn in Germany an absolute delight not least because of course you've got this great long curve of of cycling opportunity right beside the Rhine um um and Toulouse and Nice um well Nice particularly they've got this fantastic rent it here leave it there bike scheme which actually comes out to the airport so you can walk out the airport, cross the road, go up to the main road, and there is a, a bike stand. You register your details and you're off for your entire stay on bikes only. I think the ben- the bonus for Nice is that the airport, obviously not that I've been to Nice Airport, not flying myself, uh, but I have cycled there. I've cycled to Nice from London and uh, I, uh, I um, obviously you reach the... <laughs> Yeah, and it's a long sweep of the seafront, and it's a wonderful ride, you know, along the along the promenade, and uh, that that makes it very very easy and inviting for that bicycle hire scheme that you've just described. A beautiful airport, you should try it sometime. <laughs> um, and where's city of all for cyclists in Europe? There's one very obvious one. Do you want to have a guess what it is? So I'm going to have to hurry you. Um, uh, London? Madrid. No. Um, oh, London. Venice. Yeah. Venice, of course. Now, you, you can actually, you can cycle rationally along the quayside of the Fondamente della Zateri, but it's frankly not worthwhile, too many obstacles. So uh, don't take your bike to Venice, everybody. Anna, I wanted to ask you something uh, with your bike mechanic hat on, if there is such a thing. Um, and that is when you have a puncture uh, and you need to fix it uh what i usually do is uh, if i've got a spare inner tube is just put that in because it's easier and then i always think i will then mend the uh, punctured inner tube afterwards although i very rarely do um but there is always a problem which is the thing that punctured your tire is usually still stuck mm. in the tire and so <laughs> Hmm. off you cycle merrily and then uh, three minutes later down it goes again and this damn thing is unbelievably difficult to locate sometimes if it's a little piece of glass and I have absolutely ripped my fingers to pieces um, trying to change an inner tube at night and then trying to find the 
end of the piece of glass that uh, so I could then get it out of the tire if you yeah. see what I mean so it didn't cause another problem is there a handy tool that can sort that out for you yeah uh, not, not not at all perhaps but something you can do you'd obviously take the whole tire off the off the wheel um, and if you can push the tire from the outside in so you're kind of turning it inside out that might expose the thing a little bit oh, more easily yes. yeah yeah uh, something that is useful is if you have a tissue and you can use the tissue to go around the inside of the tire it it will hopefully snag on whatever it was that caused the oh. and then you have a visual so uh, even the tiniest shard of glass should yeah. snag the tissue if you're if you've kind of got the angle right Oh, thank you. That's brilliant. Um, I know what Simon would do. He'd take, I, he'd take his bike straight to a, a cycle <laughs> repair shop. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, I would do. Uh, no, and, and I, I would very, very happily do that, not least because my folding bike, um, it's a, a joy to ride. But if you get a, a puncture in your back tyre, you are, you are going to be there for weeks. Oh. So I'd rather take it to, to uh, my, my excellent um, uh, bike mechanic, uh, Mike at uh, Phoenix Cycles, give him 15 quid, go and have a cup of tea across the road and come back to a, an all new bike. I'd just like to get on, um, I suppose, finally, to um, uh, one recommended journey that uh, uh, each of us uh, would like to make public on a bike, of course. Um, Simon, do you want to start? I would say go to the Netherlands with your bicycle. At the moment, unfortunately, Eurostar will take you there, but you have to have a folding bike at the moment. Um, you get off the train at Amsterdam Central. And then instead of going into the city, you walk in the opposite direction. One minute, you will get to a free ferry that will take you across to Vaterland, uh, Waterland. And you can start cycling there and basically just keep going all the way to Germany on wonderful, tranquil uh, bike paths and lanes. And um, it will just be so uh, just, just you'll be able to enjoy the sheer humanity of cycling. Anna? Oh, I think that's almost impossible to answer, Mick, because I I have so many places that I love to cycle. And actually, I I think I'll stick with something in the UK because uh, one of one of the things I like to encourage in people is to you know find find the treasures on our doorstep and and what's under our noses. So um, there are a huge number of disused railway lines. Uh, that are now managed mm -hmm. by Sustrans, who I used to work oh. for, uh, as part of the National Cycle Network, um, many of which can be reached by train. <laughs> um, so uh, one particular delight is from Scarborough to Whitby, uh, which goes along mm. the coast there. It's wonderful, wonderful views. Um, not a particularly smooth surface, so you do need, uh, I wouldn't recommend a, a high, a slick road bike, but uh, something that's uh, that can kind of trundle, trundle you along, along um, a gripped path uh absolutely beautiful and there are so many others uh, so many other disused railway lines around the country so i would look look up some of those thanks for that anna um well i have a a rather selfish recommendation because it's a recommendation <laughs> for myself um which is to um try and uh cycle up uh, a very long hill which has featured many times uh, in the uh, Tour de France, and it goes up to a famous pass, the Col du Tourmalet. Uh, it is 
19 kilometers long. It's a hill all the way at an average of 7.4%, which is actually pretty damn steep. And sometimes it gets ridiculously steep. Uh, and it starts at Saint Sauveur in the valley where Simon and I have uh, certainly um, walked at uh, one point or another in our uh, Pyrenean walking lives. And then it goes up to the Col du Tourmalet. And at the top, there is a statue of a cyclist. Uh, and it's called the Suffering Rider. And it is, in fact, a particular cyclist called uh, Octave Lapise, who won the Tour de France on its first year, 1910, um, and was the first one over the uh, Col du Tourmalet. Uh, and apparently he shouted out as he got to the top, Vous êtes des assassins, you are murderers, to... Um, addressing the committee of the people who had organized the Tour de France and put that climb uh, in it. So uh, anyway, I would quite like to try and get up there. Yeah, well, if you can do Cypress Road, you can do anything, Mick. Um, uh, and I think that that's more or less all we have time for this week. Next week in podcast number 40, we will be talking about souvenirs. So, of course, we welcome all your stories, all your accounts about uh, souvenirs, you can leave us a message at anchor.fm slash you should have been there. Um, but meanwhile, uh, we must thank Anna Hughes, director of Flight Free UK. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at, I believe, Anna, it's Eat Sleep Cycle. That's it. And uh, you'll learn a great deal about everything. Um, meanwhile, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye and happy cycling. Happy cycling.